Constructed Criticism is sponsored by Oasis Games. MTGOasis.com is the place to get cards for your next Magic event. Try them out with code CCMTG for 15% off of your first order, and use the code WouldThatBeGood for 4% off of every order. Want to support the show directly? Head on over to Patreon.com slash CCMTG to check out some awesome benefits and future goals for the show. Thanks for listening, and here's this week's episode of Constructed Criticism. Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at purentgeo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 397th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your samurai host, Mason, joined by my ninja co-host, Spencer, and my pilot co-host, Aid. <laughs> I like it. Or don't cut it. You figure it out. Vroom, vroom. I am a pilot. That's right. You're driving us into the combobulators. Yep. Uh, anyways, today, it's pick two set review. It's Neon Dynasty. This is an interesting one for the listeners at home because normally we know we do the pick two and stuff, all set reviews, before a set comes out. I'll keep it a stack. I maybe had the dates wrong when we planned out our episodes and can't get a guest. I thought that the full review came out yesterday at the time of this recording instead of the full set coming out two days ago. So we have gotten to play with the cards a little bit. So this is going to be a very interesting pick to set review. I have not changed my picks for the most part, but it's been really interesting because I've actually played 20 matches of standard, I would say, give or take. Most of it with one deck, but we actually get some experience. And I know Abe's played a good amount of limited and Spencer's been grinding away constructed as well. So it's going to be a different kind of take on the pick two set review. We actually have a little bit of context and everything, which is exciting. Yeah, we haven't done that since the uh, the old days of the early access stream. <laughs> Do you remember? Oh yeah, that's Rest right. in peace, buddy. Do you remember when the early access stream for Ikoria had the red enchantment that when you cycled a thing, it like cascaded into another cycler, and everyone was like getting into shark typhoons, and everyone thought it was busted day one. Yeah, the early access stream was uh, was a hoot and holler in time. I remember the first time that I ever lost to... There's this three-mana Planeswalker. It's kind of g- bad, but, like, it's one, a green, and a blue. Uh, and it makes these things called food. And I played against that in early access. And I was like, I can't believe this nerd is playing this. And then I lost to it and was like, the card was kind of busted. Card kind of it on Yeah, so it had abs. It was a weird card. Magic yeah. is a weird game, guys. <laughs> it definitely through some tough times. But... <laughs> yeah, but we're going to hop right into it. So we are doing our pick two set review for the show. We're doing, skipping all of the, the normal stuff, except for something about the tournament. Yeah, I just the, the tournament is happening. Uh, I don't know, guys. I like 500 free dollars. Yeah, $500 on top of any price support just for existing is pretty dope. Uh, Oasis Games is a pretty cool place, I hear. Uh, they might sponsor a podcast that you love, and they're sponsoring this tournament. And, you know, just come. If there's two people, we're going to give you guys 500 bucks to Oasis Games on top of whatever the price comes out to after signups. If you're Patreon, you know, you get free entry uh, that way. And as Mason said, you know, just, just become a patron. Then you get the free entry 
and then it's really easy. You get our bonus content, you get the tournament. Uh, who doesn't want to hear Mason during Mike Checks pop off about his love for Flamin' Hot Cheeto Sushi? I mean, that's that's the dream. Mason does have incredible food takes. We'll put the link in the show notes for the tournament. Awesome. All right, well, let's hop into the pick two set review. So if you're listening to this episode and you've not heard us do this before, the way we do set reviews are a little different than other shows. So most shows are going to give you a top eight, top ten cards or whatever. And what's going to happen during the show, and if you've listened to Magic Podcast, you've done this before, where they say number nine and the host kind of talks about it. At the end of it, they go... Yeah, but I, it's kind of hopeful. I don't really think it's going to happen, blah, blah, blah. So instead of doing that, we front load that, and we have four categories that we've each picked two cards for, and we're going to talk about the cards in that context. So we have Sleeper, Hit, Hopeful, and Favorite. We'll go over more with what that means when we get there. That's what we can look forward to. So I'm going to start things off with Sleepers. So Sleepers are cards we think are going to show up in decks. They're going to influence things, but they're cards that specifically people are underappreciating and not looking at and giving kind of the hype that you get during preview season. This happens every preview season if you've played Magic. There's always a card that sneaks through. Sometimes it's Oko Thieves of Crowns. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, Shark Typhoon. Cards just kind of sneak past players, and sometimes players get it, and this is kind of our moment to talk about those cards. And so these cards, kind of expect them to make waves in deck, even though you haven't heard about them a lot. And by the way, everyone, the wordiest magic set in history, so get ready to listen. Light Paws Emperor is one a white for a legendary creature, Fox Advisor 2-2. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield uh, under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to and with a different name, sorry, than the aura uh, you control. Put that card onto the battlefield attached to Light Paw Emperor's Voice, then shuffle your library. I think this card is really, really strong for specifically two formats, Historic and Pioneer. Uh, in H Historic, the Auras deck has always played kind of middling one-drops, and even Esper Sentinel has entered the deck, but it isn't very good. So having just a, a ninth and a tenth like spirit dancer type card, I think is really good. And in Pioneer, like we talked about last week on the show, I think this card in addition with Saram actually allows the Auras deck to exist. We do have the kind of awkward problem where Kaios Ghost Form doesn't really work on Modo. And because of that, the Auras deck is kind of auto nerfed, but there will be Pioneer tournaments in paper. And I think Lightpaw does a great job of bol bolstering both those decks, and it does open up some pretty cool stuff in Standard as well. I haven't dug around too much yet, but this kind of card is really exciting to me. We talked about this a bit on last week's Pioneer episode, in specifically the context of Pioneer. The card has so many cool applications. There's so many little toolboxes you can make uh, if you're playing with, with any amount of auras, and then also, like, the, the Black White Auras deck we've already seen has huge pedigree in, in Historic. I think this card would obviously slot in perfectly finding those those extra like demonic figures or ghost horns maybe even letting you play a few like, like one or two fewer copies if you're playing three or four of these just because you know you're only going to need the first which gives you room for like you know more of your your heavy hitter enchantment which i think is is something i often find with that deck is that it really wants those all the glitters or ethereal armor uh things to to actually close the game might even increase the speed of the deck by by a step or two I also think your cyborg gaming against aggro decks it's a much better. You can always find your lifelinking enchantment. We've got another card. So you, you, I, I know you love white-black decks in general, so I know you've got a lot of thoughts on this card. Then my other card is Disruption Protocol. It's blue-blue for an instant. As additional cost to cast this spell, tap an untapped artifact you control or pay one counter-target spell. So 
it's essentially a cancel that you can improvise, like the old mechanic, or tap an artifact, and then now you only pay two mana. Uh, and so it becomes counterspell once you tap something. There are a lot of things in this set that are artifacts. Uh, there are a lot of artifacts in general. There are treasure tokens laying around, so now you can tap your treasure in order to use it later. I think there's probably like a blue, red, or maybe black, blue, um, like tempo-y type deck that this looks kind of strong in. And I think with the reconfigure, a lot of things that people forget about because they don't really play with equipments a lot is that you can tap your equip thing. I'm a pretty big Lizard Blade fan. It might end up not being good enough, but either way, uh, like if you had that attached to your creature, you can tap the blade and now you've got just, you know, counterspell and you didn't really lose very much. And there are a lot of really, really good artifacts. So I think you just read this card as cancel that is sometimes better. And I think it's the best version of that if your deck has artifacts in it at a reasonable number. But even things like portable hole for control decks, that, that sort of interaction seems so strong to me. If you're like on the draw and you like answer their like one drop, they play something and then you answer the next thing with disruptive protocol and then you know you just have to clean up the two. That seems really strong. So I, I'm a pretty big believer in disruptive protocol for standard. What was standard. the what was the name? Was it Stoic Rebuttal? Yeah. What was the name of the, it's the Metal okay. Craft Counterspell? Yeah, that card that card saw modern play, and this card seems better than that. Maybe slightly slightly stronger than Rebuttal. Uh, sorry, uh, the thing you said, but maybe a little weaker than Rebuke because Rebuke just costs blue, and you could tap two things. Yeah, that's but, fair. But I, I think it is really good. I think that's a good a, a comparison to draw. It, lo it actually reads like a card I would normally make fun of people for liking, but I think is secretly good. And that's all I'll say on I that. I like that you make fun <laughs> of people secretly. Uh, my next <laughs> I do it on Twitter all the time. So it's not publicly, a secret. Publicly, too. Uh, my next card. So here's the thing. You know, we have to have one of these in every set, right? Uh, where the one of the co-hosts misreads a card that he puts on the list. And for me... I didn't realize that this ha has this sub-theme of when you control an artifact <laughs> and an enchantment. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so, read your cards. Spencer only has one sleeper, and it's called Farewell Now. <laughs> That's it. That's the only one. For what's worth it, I think you could talk about your other card, but let's talk about Farewell first, and then we'll circle sure. back if you want to. Yeah, so Farewell is 4WW for a sorcery rare. You choose one or more. Uh, exile artifacts, exile all creatures, exile all enchantments, and exile all graveyards. So, standard is like always an interesting place because you never know which six mana wrath is actually going to end up seeing play. And they always surprise me. <laughs> like, I remember when playing your cleansing, man, it was like during Thrag to standard, everybody was like, this card's going to be so good. And I was like, nah, it's not I'm good this time. Uh, this one's different though. Because, Abe, you can pick which thing you're doing. It's the austerest command. That one was only five, though, right? No, you just only got two modes. Oh, got it. Okay, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, for one more mana, you get all the modes. No, all the same modes. mana. You get all the modes. Doesn't austere command cost five? No, it's yeah, four, four white wave. Oh, is it really? I've got milkshakes on it. it. It's not even close. I'll bet milkshakes on it. I'm not willing to bet. That's just what I remember. Anyway... Uh, getting to pick which modes, I don't know. Th th this card seems quite good to me. If it if it actually does cost the same as that card, that card saw it a does. ton of play. I mean, he would know. He's the the dirty cube drafter. Uh, I'm just mental magic guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think this card has a real shot in standard. 
Um, Blue Eye Control was starting to see play, and Esper Control was starting to see play at the end of this last format. And I think this is an upgrade to like a lot of the things that that deck was trying to do. I can bounce my uh, crack into my hand and then exile a lot of creatures is pretty dope. I, I mean, like you can do that with any wrath, but I do I do like that. So I think that especially in a world where it feels like a lot of what's going to be asked of the creature decks in order to like pivot around mass removal is to be like play a bunch of these vehicles, a sweeper that both cleans up the vehicles and the creatures and also you know recursive creatures from the graveyard and you know various enchantments like um like feldar retreat that certain decks play uh just a lot of the a lot of the traction that the decks that are trying to play to the board have is entirely cleaned up by this wrath which which much like when planar cleansing was played uh, really at that point not really any planeswalkers needing to be put into those decks because of sphinx's revelation and and like quicken being so good but like you, you can still play with Planeswalkers and play this card, and even some of your own enchantments or artifact-based removal, and get a ton out of this card just answering all of the right stuff out of out of your opponent's decks. Things like Doomscar only attack that one that one angle. They, they only get the creatures on the board, but not a vehicle. Or... Someone in play design hates Prize Amalgam, is what I'm reading. They're just like, Austere Command only destroys, I'm dying all the time in my EDH games, I gotta exile them. Get the graveyard, get the creatures. Oh, but I, I'm surprised about giving their ADH games. Dozens oh. of people. <laughs> There's <laughs> dozens of them. I have to assume one-on-one Dredge is an EDH deck and that Prize Amalgam's in there. Uh, anyways, jokes aside, I, I do think having one of these seems very likely to me uh, in like once a format hits a certain point, like probably not at the start, but when we hit the middle of the format when things kind of slow down and we get kind of like game plans evolving versus stuff, having a card like this that is a ubiquitous answer, I think, is probably really strong. Yeah, so. one thing to note, I'm a huge fan of fun-ups. Like, they're my favorites, and this is, like, my favorite type of fun-up. They're expecting the Doom Scar, and you got them! Gotcha! I was just watching a game right before the show that Mason was playing with his mono-red deck, and his opponent cast Cinderclasm, and all of his reconfigured creatures, like, sure, like, killed the things with the reconfigures on them, but then he still just had two creatures in play because he had his, his reconfigured creatures on the other creature, and like stacking to avoid that wrath, I think is a play pattern that will definitely exist, uh, or, or to avoid that wrath effect will exist. But this getting around that, I think absolutely will matter in a bunch of the games. So, yeah, take that lizard blades. I think reconfigure is secretly pretty dope. It might just be some of the cards are pushed, but I think that mechanic's actually like really strong. I do too. My next card is uh, that misread was vanishing slash destroy it to one target artifact, enchantment, or tapped creature. Then if you control an artifact and an enchantment, not or, uh, you can get a 2-2 with Vigilance. When I thought that it was either or, I was like, man, this card is like like one of the best cyborg cards <laughs> for this I think stick. it still is. I don't know. Word, I think I, it's going to be pretty hard to have both in play in Mono White. I think even without it, it's a really, like, really flexible card. Like, like sure. I guess my question is, sure. do, do you like having Disenchant? Like, I, I haven't played a lot of the recent standard, but my guess is that if you're a mono-white deck, this is better disenchant as long as you can sometimes hit the thing. Yeah. Like, as I, long as, like, you can bingo. I, I can but totally, I don't know. I can totally see that. Like, I, I could still end up being a good cyborg card. It was almost to the point where I was like, maybe you actually changed the way your main deck is built to play this card when I was originally reading it. It could be good still as, like, a, a cyborg card. I, I don't think you're going to get the second half. Like... You could build your deck in a way that it's possible to get the second half, and that's probably enough upside to play it over Disenchant, but... 
my the thing that I think about with this card, and we don't have to dwell on this too long, is how many colorless lands you have in your deck, uh, and versus how many cards now. You yeah, so yeah, it's zeros. But I figured maybe there's like maybe you're gonna end up playing a field of ruin or something like as like if you need if you're a chunkier mono white deck, right? And then if you're a multicolor deck, I think this card's a non-starter. But I think if you're mono white and there are like problematic enchantments and artifacts in the way. I like this card because I, I don't know the exact cyborg reconfiguring, but you can bring it in in the mirror, which I think is like a pretty reasonable thing. And like blowing up all the skyclaves could come up as like a thing the metagame becomes about. My, it's currently, I don't think, really not there. But like I kind of think this card is close enough. And we have a lot of creatures that are randomly enchantments. So if one of them turns out to be good enough, I think you kind of just play this card just because it's like destroy enchantment artifact tap creature. And sometimes you bingo. And you get your two two, but I'm like not gonna live or die. You're gonna, two -two. Bi you're gonna bingo bongo him. All it takes is like one Molotov cleave, one Paladin class. Moving you on are, you two. are already playing like portable holes, clave and class. So I think I think it's a really flexible card. I thought it was a really solid pick. My picks for sleepers. Up first, I have the Saga Tribute to Hirobi. Chapter one and two are the same, and they are each opponent creates a one one black rat rogue creature token. Uh, then chapter three, as m many of the sagas are in this format, you transform the saga into uh, a, the creature on the backside, which is a 3-3 three, three enchantment creature with flying and haste. And uh, when the creature attacks, you may sacrifice a creature you control to draw another creature you control to draw a card. And I think this card is just a really, really stacked rate. The fact that it has haste on the third side immediately gets you a card back. You pay like, what, like three life? to get it in play by giving your opponent these two uncontested 1-1s one or whatever, or you can't attack for those turns on the ground. Being able to recapture that value and then immediately start converting it is really, really powerful. I, I read this card and was kind of like, oh, this seems like something that someone else will figure out, and I don't really want to spend a lot of time figuring out how to get the juice from this card. You know what I mean? There's like so many cards that you're trying to squeeze the juice out of that my brain can only go so many places. Honestly, I thought it was kind of cool, but I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. And I just kind of moved on. I think that this card's sweet. I have a hard time understanding what deck this goes in. And it also sounds really annoying in the mirror. Passing rats nice. back and forth. <laughs> I did watch I did watch somebody lose to this card uh, yesterday on Arena, though. So I don't know. I just feel like the rate on it, especially if you're the only one playing it, playing the mirror does sound really strange. But, uh, you know, up front it's like, if you use your mind's eye to reimagine the chapters or actually... Chapter one, lose three life. Chapter Maybe they're going to give us Pack Rat in the next set, too. It'll really be real fun. <laughs> Chapter two, draw a card. Chapter three, get a Manus Rider. Maybe it doesn't have Vigilance, but you know, just a 3 3 Flying Haste. Really, really strong card. Uh, and then even if they like kill it after it, after it transforms, you still take the two rats back. So you're, you're getting a lot of value um, in a lot of the cases where you play this card. I think this card's a call out to a folktale, by the way. It's got max flavor. It's got. I gotta. Flavor. I gotta ask a question though. Can somebody explain the symbol on these sagas to me? I'm not quite sure what they're going for here. Their their stories coming to life. Their stories coming like so. The front side it looks like I'm looking at the Fang, and the back side looks like I'm looking at like. Uh, I, I have the anime one pulled up. Anime. So I, I have... Yeah, I love anime. Speaking of anime, what's your next card? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my next card is Generous Visitor, which is a card I've actually seen no one talk about, uh, which is a green 1-1 one, one spirit, and it says whenever you cast an enchantment spell, put a plus-minus-one counter on target creature. I think that in 
a deck where you're able to play the right density of enchantments, and especially enchantment creatures, this is just, like, experiment one. Or a Pelt Collector, right? Like, except then it's also Luminarch Aspirin on top of that, right? Like, it doesn't have to go on itself. It can be put other places. Even just two enchantments make this into a 3-3, which is more than you're bargaining for most of the time with a one-drop. With the amount of sagas that are playable, and with the amount of enchantment creatures we have... And especially in the, uh, in like, formats like Historic, where there's just more of them to choose from, especially in the, like, cheap enchantments, this card actually has huge, uh, huge possibilities. One mana lords are really strong. There are worlds where this card would have been a rare. It's like almost Champion of the Parish. It's like almost better than Champion of the Parish, too, because, like, you can put the counter wherever you want. It's a little, it's a little strong. It's definitely really good. It seems like a cube card to me almost, too, when I read it. Along with Light Paw, I think this card's really good. I think there's like a green-white enchantment kind of aggro deck, like between those two, and I don't think any of us talked about it, but Michiko's Reign of Truth, I think is how you say it. But it's essentially, it's a saga that all that glitters twice on like when you do the chapter to a creature for a turn, and then it turns into an all that glitters creature. So plus X plus X equal to enchantments and artifacts this that light paw lion sash is like the start of a deck that's like pretty strong at being like an aggressive like hey i have all these modified creatures and i think this thing's really good with modifying in general thundering Raju, yeah we'll talk about it later basically i think this card kind of like is going to be the glue for yeah yeah it, it, it plays like, really with the enchantment stuff and then it also enables your modify cards if you're playing with those and if this podcast gets 20 likes on youtube uh, mason will actually go as all that glitters for halloween this year so I look good in that suit. Anyways, speaking of looking good, let's move on to our next one. These are our hopeful. So these are cards that we hope are good enough to show up in decks. Typically, these are going to be standard when we talk about them, but you know, it can be any format. It's something that you're kind of wanting to break into a format. But typically, these kind of cards don't actually make the cut. If you're thinking of a traditional set review you're listening to, these are kind of like the cards 9 and 10 that they start to show off that are really cool. And then they end it by saying, yeah, but they may not make it. I have picked two cards that I think actually have a real chance of making it in various formats, so I'm excited. So, Ao the Dawn Sky. Ao, it's f- five mana, three white white for a Dragon Spear five four with Flying and Vigilance. Now, Ao has two abilities, and you pick one when uh, Ao dies. The first ability is you look at the top seven cards of your deck, put any number of non-land permanent cards with total mana value four or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest in the bottom of your library in a random order. So it like collected companies for four total mana values. You can get seven zeros, a bunch of mem knights or whatever, you know, or you can get like one good card or whatever. Uh, and then as another mode, if it dies, you could choose to instead put two plus one plus one counters on each permanent you control that's a creature or vehicle. So if AO dies, you can buff your whole team by plus two plus two. I think AO in a standard deck. As the top end of like a go wide or like one of these like vehicle strategy things is pretty strong. And what I like about it is, is that it presents like this weird dynamic for your opponent. I think a lot of the dragons actually do this a lot better. That if you kill the dragons immediately, they have some way to replace their value in their body. So like the red dragon does this, the black dragon does this, the white dragon does this. I think that's why they're the strongest. Uh, it's like, okay, well you killed my AO. I only get four mana worth of value back. 
But if it's like two two drops, that could be pretty good. Like if I hit Luminarch Aspirants, that's pretty strong. You can hit like a Skyclave Apparition and maybe like a another one drop or whatever. And I think this sort of card is really good in like a white red type deck where there's a lot of plus one plus one counter stuff running around with scald so like if you hit a showdown the skulls off this that's really strong and then the plus two plus two counter mode i think is the default where like the board's kind of stalled up you're hitting them with the ao a bunch they have to kill your ao now your board's really big and they have a problem so i like ao i think it has a shot but it might just be too much it is just kind of like bane slayer angel which is my main problem with it yeah it's, it's biggest enemy <laughs> is definitely fading hope right like great rate Obviously, like, you want to have it in play, but at a certain point, that's all it is. But the, the, the dice trigger on it is, is probably one of the most powerful of this cycle of dragons, if not the most powerful. Like, the ability to just get one to four permanents uh, into play to, to replace it and immediately have a board again is, is really strong, especially against uh, non-blue mid-range decks that don't have access to cards like Fading Hope or, you know, just lost. All the things that are going to fill the void is Divide by Zero has left the format. Uh, a lot of the a lot of the three color mid range decks. This is definitely a card that has huge chops. Like being like Baneslayer Angel is only that. so much of a drawback. <laughs> yeah, this is a non starter of divide by zeros in the format. So I love that band. Spencer, what do you think about this card? Do you have any thoughts? I think that I don't understand the Baneslayer Angel comparison. It's just a big creature a lot of the time. Got it. Got it. <laughs> uh, what do you got? What do you got against beefy boys? This is the dragon that I might be the most interested in finding a way to kill. It's have it die. Like the first thing that popped in my head is, man, I really like to crew chariot and then sack this thing. <laughs> and that that sounds pretty strong. Yeah, I think there's a lot of weird things like that that can come up with this card. So, I this next one, I doubt either of you are prepared for how I'm going to talk about this card. So buckle up, Tamisha Reality Architect. This is two and a white for a legendary creature, Moonfolk Wizard, 2-3. When one or more non-creature permanents are returned to hand, draw a card. This ability only triggers once each turn. Then for X and a white, you return a land you control to its owner's hand. Return target artifact or enchantment card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Activate only as a sorcery. Is I think super exciting with Urza Saga as like a baseline or whatever. Like... Enchantments Saga counts as that. You can also pick up your Saga for the white part of it. So you're going to draw a card. You can reset it so that way it doesn't die if you're in the late game. That's something you can do. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, saga also grabs Aether Spellbomb, which works really well with all parts of this card, right? Like you get the Spellbomb back. You draw a card. You can draw cards on their turn pretty easily with this. Now we're kind of turning through our deck. It's a pretty fragile creature, though. So I think all that stuff's really cool. There's Lurus in the format. That's a pretty hard place to kind of be, I think, in current modern. I think two years ago or maybe pre-MH1, uh, this card would be an absolute all-star in modern. But more importantly, let me tell you about Amulet Tamasha. I don't know how you say this card name. Tamisha? Tameshi. Because Dom... Har Tameshi, thank you. Dom Harvey broke it. I don't know if... Did either of you read... I did. I was actually going to bring it okay, up. Okay, so basically, with Tameshi, the artifact lands from uh, MH2, the tapped, like, bridge cycle, and Amulet, you can kind of go infinite pretty easily quickly like assemble that sort of combo and play this card and then kill your opponent on the spot uh it's kind of complicated and convoluted i could go through it but just basically trust me if you want to read that go to starcitygames.com there's a select article for dom harvey he explains the combo there I, I think it actually has real legs of being something uh and maybe even something in like an amulet shell but it might spawn like an amulet deck that doesn't have titan or doesn't lean on titan as heavily which i think is really cool so 
Also, I, probably good in historic. I, I haven't done a deep dive yet, but historic has a lot of the same tools. Yeah, I mean, until the set came out, I didn't know this card existed really. I like read over the the previews and like really didn't think about what this card does to a game. But after playing with it in limited for like like my first two drafts, my first draft I had this and had like a weird three color Esper deck where it single handedly took over a game just by recurring the right stuff and generating a ton, ton of cards for me to use when none of the stuff in my graveyard was the right stuff. It kind of feels like feels like an Emery in the way it plays. And then I, I did another draft where I had it again, and it did the same thing again. And I was like, okay, it wasn't just like some fluke. This card is actually the real deal and like has the capacity to go unchecked and just generate so much value that if you start building around the, uh, the claws of it outside of just, oh, I'm paying a bunch of mana to return something, picking up a land and drawing a card on top of that, which is a ton of value... Yeah, like you said, like Aether Spellbomb, return return your thing, now I'm drawing a card for that, and then I'm looping the Aether Spellbomb. So if you find ways to get ahead on mana, things like Springleaf Drum, or like the new Springleaf Drum that's blue. Moonsnare Prototype. Yeah, yeah, if you find ways to like be able to get a little bit ahead on mana, and keep up with the fact you're picking up lands, or ways to get more lands in play, I think this quickly gets out of hand. So the first time I saw this card was Abe tweeting about his limited games. The second time I saw it, it was decimating my coast of my other podcast in limited. I think this card is actually broken. Like, I actually would be not shocked to see this card break a format. You just said something, though, and I don't want to, like, go too off topic, but, like, it's cards like this that make me wish Lurus was banned. Hot take, guys. Companions might have been bad for magic. <laughs> but, like, the fact that you that you said that on about this card, I'm like, just like, just ban Luris. Like, what a stupid thing to have to consider. I think this card's sick and it's really strong. I'm going to move on after I say this. Just for the listeners to ruminate on, to stew on. The return a land, get an enchantment or an artifact back isn't gated once per turn because they're trying to gate it by the land part. But that's actually pretty easily mitigated in Magic if you try a little. Like, it's actually not a problem, and it's kind of a benefit. So, with that in mind, I think there's a lot of real space to brew. And I, like, I wouldn't play this then this coming weekend, like, in our jam at the play in, like, a big 5K. I would be very close to, honestly. Like, like if I could assemble the pieces resiliently enough, this is the sort of thing that I think breaks formats in half. If, even if, if just for a short while when the format reconfigures around it. Dude, Abe, can you imagine how good Alex Bertoncini would have been with this card? Man, he'd have been unstoppable. <laughs> a lot of cards like that, <laughs> honestly. Alex Bertoncini did Inruffable Harm to Amulet Titan. Your turn, Spencer. <laughs> I have two cards in my helpfuls. I, I need somebody to talk me off the ledge here because I've thought about this card a lot. We're going to talk about Colossal Sky Turtle. Like, straight up. This card seems really good to me. You put this card in your amulet, though. So this card is four green, green, blue for a six, five flying ward two. You might be saying, Spencer, this card costs seven mana. But wait, <laughs> it's modal for it has two different channel. It has channel two and a green to discard it and return a card from your graveyard to your hand. And it has channel for one and a blue to return a creature to its owner's hand. Guys, I love a good old disperse like i'm a big disperse guy i'm a disperse i'm a disperse gamer this card seems so sweet this and then there's another one that almost made my hopefuls but i didn't want to put both of them on there that uh, that actually is probably really good popper it's like it has channel and it counters a oh spell yeah I'm unless they pay that three that card. Oh, do you have it on yours cool yeah that card seems really good in popper uh, guys 
listen, I don't know if Colossal Skies or Turtles any good, but part of hope was you wanted to be good, and I really want this card to be good. I think you have to be in the market for regrowth. Listen, man, I played a lot of decks that are in the market for regrowth <laughs> slash... Always, whatever it's selling, I'm buying. I'm always in the market. Yeah. I am all about all of the parts of this card. It's a big flying turtle, first of all. It's a colossal sky turtle. I just... I, I want to live in a world where this card sees standard play. I, I think you can live in a world where this card sees modern play pretty easily for what it's worth. I, I think this and Living End... Like, you pick up the, whatever it's called. What's the word for it? Cascader? And then you can, like, cast it again. You, like, bounce your Ardent Plea? Or you, you return yeah, your Yeah, like, out. you can bounce the Ardent Plea or pick up the Violent Outburst or the thing. That, like, it gets countered. I think that, like, it might end up being too slow. But that deck has, like, been trying to actually up its green card count for Endurance and Force of Vigor. Because I don't know if you've ever actually looked at it, but the new versions are giga bad with those cards. They're, they're, the cards they pitch to them are other copies of themselves and Cascaders, and that's it. Unless there's like another cyborg card. So they actually do want the green card count to go up, and they want the blue card count to stay high for subtlety and for, um, which not all lists play, but some do play subtlety and Force Negation. I like what you're pitching here, Mason. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, you pitch it to your yeah. first. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> The boomerang effect, like like the disperse, is actually a pretty good effect against some amount of the hate that exists. You know, they like they chalice you. Doesn't matter what they chalice you on. This ain't this ain't oh, a spell. It's, it's only this creature. Ability. Oh, it's only creature. Yeah, it's return creature. Oh, no. Yeah, I thought it was really. A, oh, if it was man. disperse, I thought, I thought it was dude. A, if it was yeah. straight up disperse, I would. Uh, uh, this be a hit. I was spell. out here for the for the six five flying brazen uh, <laughs> bar. I was ready. <laughs> I mean, this is pretty good against Draneth Magistrate, though. Exactly. Also, we haven't mentioned it for listeners if you haven't played with Channel before. Uh, it's like cycle, but you do some some ability instead of cycling, which means it can't be countered unless they have a stifle type effect. You like this thing all basically always happens when you do it, which is super nice against things like Hammer, etc. Where like if you're playing against a Teferi Time Raveler, you can actually just like end of turn actually do something when you passed. And like get a card back or like unsummon a thing, and that I think is like legitimately important to talk about. Let's talk about your other card though, because it's a channel card too. Yeah. So my other card is <laughs> Mononix uh, Sphere. It's one in a blue for an artifact, uh, and then it has one in a blue sacrifice Mononix Sphere, draw two cards, and it also has channel for a blue to just draw a card. Uh, I think that this card is straight up busted, and I think that. It will enable artifact decks in Standard, in Historic, in Pioneer to really pop off. Like, the fact that this has this channel effect, I think this card is actually, like, the glue. All right, Mason, you can put down the Courier's Capsule. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta rep the, the OG. Don't forget Drafted a lot of those back like, in my day. The fact that this gets to act as, like, an opt for artifact decks and be like pitchable to cards that want you to discard artifacts whether it's like thirst for knowledge or this is the kind of glue card that a lot of artifact decks have wanted for a long time yeah it I, reminds I not, me i would not be surprised to see this across the board see play it reminds me of hieroglyphic illumination which did see a good amount of modern play it like has the artifact synergies kind of like built into it you know like, like you can play it it like plays really well with urza you can tap it for a blue and then like use another mana to sacrifice it or yeah or it's just really low friction it's either a plus one you either get to like spend four mana over two, two turns to draw two 
or cycle it when when you don't need it. In a lot of the formats where the artifact stuff does matter, I think I have a hard time keeping up with uh, the hunger that those have for resources in general. Like, the reason the Prophetic Prism was so good and why it had to get banned in Pauper, where, you know, artifacts are, like, the best thing going on right now, basically, is because, you know, if you're playing an Affinity card, you need that that 6th, 7th, 8th or card just to have, like, your Mirror Enforcer plus other things, right? Can you imagine if this card ETB'd to draw the card and then you sacked it to draw another card instead of the way... Ooh, yeah, man, I mean, this that card would be... That, that would, would be, be so spicy. spicy. Too spicy. That would be that would be that would be the habaneros. I can't I can tell that, but I I do think that you know there's a lot of places where if you have the right amount of artifact synergies, this this is a very very strong contender for a nice uh, wheel greaser. I I think it's good. I think that the trick to this card in standard is Moonsnare prototype, where this card is like your divination or your hieroglyphic illumination type effect in the the, the slot in which it takes up. But it works with your synergy. So you're playing, like like you mentioned, like Thirst for Knowledge type cards. The, I think the new Tezzeret we'll talk about later today, I think that card's actually quite good. In multiple formats, this card works very nicely with that. I think it has a lot of weird applications with, like, Tameshi. I think they work really well together. It's like a thing you can cycle and pick up. Um, I, I think this card is, like you said, pretty much, like, glue. And I think the, the secret to making the card playable is make sure that the artifact text is a plus, not a downside. And if you do that, I think you have better hieroglyphic illumination. Yeah, I, I'm a I'm already a big hieroglyphic illumination gamer, so I was I was bound to like this card. I'm a, I also like monkeys and hot tubs, though, Abe. Should we talk about that? Oh yeah, we absolutely should. So my first hopeful card is Invigorating Hot Spring, uh, one red green enchantment, enters battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it, and says that modified creatures you control have haste. It also has. Remove a plus one plus one counter from Invigorating Hot Spring. Put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Activate as a sorcery and only once each turn. So this is kind of like um, like a rhythm of the wild uh, for people who remember cards that uh, Pro Points said we're going to break the format. <laughs> yeah, cards that baited a generation of boomers into thinking that Fires Yabamai was back. But I think that this card always, or not always, but you know, four times having the opportunity to give the give the boost and haste is a lot for a lot of decks to deal with. I think that um, as we've seen with cards like Goldspan Dragon, that haste on anything that impacts the board and with a lot of things that have attacking triggers that just kind of can snowball the game, giving those haste is really, really powerful. And uh, I, I think that when it comes to a deck that has you know a real need for this, a, a, a deck that needs ways to like make its threats move a little like move a little more hit a little harder you know cards like Essex's chariot get even better with uh with hot spring because you can like crew give your chariot haste on the turn it comes down like that's that's an insane curve in the same way that um reckless storm seeker uh, a card that mason was really high on out of um out of the innistrad sets kind of did but this is like a an even less fragile version of that in some ways that Plays with your um, modified synergies really well. I think that if a, if, a, if a card like this has a room in standard, that means a ton of really great things for what the format's about. I agree with that. I, I like this card a lot. Uh, for what it's worth, while I was, you know, I was taking uh, taking jabs at our, our sister podcaster co- uh, host, Sam there, I do actually think that this card is sweet. And I want to know, though, Abe and Mason, do you guys think this is more like a sideboard card or like a build-around main deck card? 
This is like the sphere card, I think, for modified decks, personally. Like, I think it's one of those type of cards where, like, it enables okay. stuff to happen. So it's the glue for those. It, it's funny because, like, I think one of the problems with Rhythm of the Wild is, like, there were better things at the that point in the game. So, like, a really good example of this is Domery Anarcha Bullis was at the same mana cost and, like, did the thing that that did way better. And I think that for this card, it, it is in the right color combination. And, like, we're getting so many good red cards. And now that we're not forced into playing, like, mono green because of Faceless Haven, I think that this card has potential. It's very good at the Generous Visitor, too, the card we talked about earlier. Yeah, it's an enchantment, plays modified cards. It, it's very good. I, I don't have much to say on that. I think it's just a strong red card. Well, my other hopeful is... A card we talked about, I talked about last week as a card I was really looking for in Pioneer. Experimental Synthesizer, which is a single red artifact. And when Experimental Synthesizer enters or leaves the battlefield, exile the top card of your library until end of turn, you may play that card. Uh, it also has two and a red Sacrifice Experimental Synthesizer. Create a 2-2 white samurai creature token with Vigilance. Activate this only as a sorcery. So this is like more of a card that I would think of as the kind of like critical mass artifact card that Spencer was talking about with um, with Mnemonic Sphere, where you know you play it, you get your card immediately. Hopefully, you get like you know, either just a land or some some other cheap spell, and then it sits around for a bit, and then you can cash it in with one of your many sacrifice and artifact effects. There's like the uh, the single red like deal two or sack an artifact deal four. Dude, I definitely thought that card hit face and like was was about to pop off. By the way, yesterday. With some hot takes, and it, uh, it doesn't deal face. Yeah, anyway, I, I had going. that moment, too. But it's also, like, really good with, like, Deadly Dispute. You get your third card out of it. It's kind of like an Icker Wellspring in red, which Icker Wellspring just draws when it enters and then draws when it leaves. But this one has an ability built in to sacrifice it to get another creature, to get that extra card if you're, like, really flush on, on mana and resources. And I think that just... You have to use your imagination a bit, but it's very close to, like, a, a light-up-the-stage effect crash through style card where you just kind of play it for your prowess trigger or for whatever synergy you're trying to enable get something else out of it immediately and then uh you really start to see that like whatever synergies it's enabling make it worth so much more than the one or two cards it looks like it's worth yeah this card is probably going to see popper play along with the, the other blue one too yeah it reminds me of uh, blood fountain which i felt the same way about you generate a lot of resources for for not a lot of mana. I think this card's actually like close enough that they might be like more fringy stuff, but I, I do think this type of effect and the fact that it's an artifact goes a long way to enable things. And in like Pioneer, I think like the Deadly Dispute synergy with this is like showing up in standard. That's what I've played a bunch of. We'll talk about it more here in a second because my next card's going to reference this. But that has been really strong. And this has just been a good way to like, if your deck's about having a bunch of pieces and not so much exactly having all the right pieces at all the right time, I think this card's really, really good. I think the 2-2 actually lines up reasonably well in the as a thing to do when like all the resources are gone. It's like you crack like pay three mana to get a two two draw card is really good. Even if it's like, you know, a card you have to play now that you maybe want to hold. But you just build your deck with that in mind. Favorites. So favorites they kind of are what they sound like. These are just cards we really, really like. Some of us, we might go for a long time. We might just mention them in passing. But these are just cards that we like. We'd love to see play. Kind of the hopeful. But also, maybe they're just a card we like for other reasons. I'll probably exemplify that here with my second card. More so than maybe any card, but we'll see. First, I want to start with Oni Cold Anvil. 
So long-time listeners of the show know that I love Hidden Stockpile, one of my favorite Magic cards of all time. Only Called Anvil is back, and I've played like uh, 17 matches of this so far in Standard. And I have loved it. It's been so much fun, and I'm going to read you with this card right now. Only Called Anvil is red and a black for an artifact. When one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield during your turn, make a 1-1 one, one Construct Artifact Creature token. Uh, this ability can only trigger once per turn. Then you can tap this and sacrifice an artifact. Uh, Oni Called Anvil will deal one to the opponent and you gain one life. So a little drainage. So this card uh, basically works super well with the Synthesize like Abe just talked about. Like if you play the Oni Called on two, you can play the Synthesize on three, make your land drop, maybe make a two drop. You play a deck that's all like two drops and less. It's like, that's a way to make Synthesize actually always draw cards. You know, you, it's either your land for your turn or it's, you know, if you have two mana, you can play anything in your deck. I have played that with this card. It has been incredibly powerful. It allows me to, like, basically play a 23 land count in a deck that probably wants 25 or 26 in combination with Deadly Speed and a bunch of stuff. It has been really, really good. I really love Only Cold Anvil. I love the Synthesize, and I think uh, Synthesize is a lot to bolster the playability of this card. It, it's been a lot of fun standard. So if you want to check that out, we have the deck in the Discord. I'm not, I could harp on it for hours, but honestly, it seems close to being a real deck, if not already a real deck. So, man. When you guys were talking to Kane about this card in Pioneer, all I could think about is playing this card in Standard and stuff. He's, like, popping off about it in, in Pioneer, and I'm just like, there's no way this card isn't playable in, like, Historic and Standard. This card does so many things! It's really good with Meathook Massacre, too. Oh my gosh, you can get this off of freaking Trail of Crumbs. It's yeah, it's good with Cat Oven, in case you needed one more thing that was good with that. <laughs> yeah. Good with Ravenous Squirrel, really with in case you needed one more thing that was good with this that. This card seems so good. It, it's really good. Like, the first copy is, like, close enough to standard playable that you get away with it. And when you hit the second one and you start making two one ones a turn, it's so hard for your opponents to ever kill you. Like, you block, sack like the thing, ping them. If you have a massacre, they take another one. Now you're draining them out slowly. You, get two you have all these blood. Yeah, you get two one ones. You uh, you get two blood. Like you pretty easily make blood tokens and treasure tokens in these decks. And that's another thing where like I've been sacrificing like just blood tokens just to like ping people kind of in the late game when we're kind of racing and like you know it's like yeah then I'll like block you know and like da 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 or hold back now like I hit you again for one then ping and Oni Call Anvil has been really really good. If you want, if you're looking to play this deck and you want to get a little spicy for me, hit me up on Twitter or on the pace, the Facebook group or whatever, the Patreon. Put Ingenious Smith in your deck, a little Mardu action, because you got a lot of artifacts you can hit. Uh, talk to me about this Gundam. I wanna, I wanna know about your gun, your Gundam, Mason. <laughs> Mectician Core, I think. A uh, two mana <laughs> vehicle for a two four that crews two. Wow, so cool. Uh, but it also has five mana, exiled the Munition Core, and four other artifact creatures and/or vehicles you control. Create a legendary ten ten construct named Munition or Mectician, whatever. Uh, this token has flying, vigilance, trample, lifelink, and haste. It's all colors, and when this token leaves the battlefield, it'll turn all the cards exiled with the Munition Core, except for the core to the battlefield, tapped. So basically, if you were like me growing up as a kid, you watched Power Rangers or Gundams or something, and all the robots would come together, and it builds a big super robot that would beat the it's boss. the Megazord. Yeah, it's the Megazord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Megazord. It, like, it comes together, and it's a 10-10 flying Vision and Slifling Trample, and they don't even punish me that much. They're like, hey, you lose your 2-4 vehicle, but you get the other pieces back of that dies. We know you did a lot of work to get here. The artifacts don't actually have to, they can be tokens too. So if you have stuff like Anvil, if you want to get a little spicy, you can sacrifice treasures. 
uh, although those won't come back, obviously. But this card's super, super cool. It's kind of close on rate. Like, 2-mana, two 2-4, two, crew 2 is like, eh. But uh, there might be ways to actually abuse make the Megazord, and I think that's really cool. That's why it's my, one of my favorites, just because I love the design. I don't know how, if I was pitched... Like, the idea of making a Megazord in a Magic set, I don't even know how to get there. And if you told anyone that, I think, three years ago, they would have lost their mind. It's really funny that this is a card you picked, because in my personal life, I my brother and I like to... He likes to send me his funny ideas for, like, really dumb gag cards. And one of the really dumb gag cards he sent me, not two weeks before the preview started, was... Uh, a Voltron card, like a literal, like, it was like it was like a 2020 like indestructible haste or whatever. Not very far off from what this card is or does. And I was like, my mind was blown. I explained to my brother what a secret layer was because he didn't understand that the only way that I thought this would see print was if they did a Power Ranger secret layer. <laughs> and and for it to actually show up, I, I I mean it's just such a sick design. I think you're you're so right. Who what isn't cool about making a big robot? And I think the token also looks pretty sweet. You got a big Gundam token, awesome. Yeah, I honestly like if you yell shining finger as you attack with this, I'm pretty sure you win the tournament. And like that's the rule. The, yeah, specifically, G Gundam that. is that is that show that. is that is a good anime for what it's worth, Mason. I like the the Megazord comparison, but the thing looks more like a Gundam than it does a Zord. I think Gundams are just more popular. So That's I think, fair. You know, the uh, art direction was probably like Gundam. <laughs> <speak>. <laughs> Gundam don't get sued in parentheses. <laughs> yeah, give it little legs. I, I love that it has these like little. I do love legs the little the little legs. I think the legs are, are pretty yeah. awesome. Azusa's Many Journeys. It's a saga, and you may pay an additional land this turn, is the first part. The second part is you gain three life, and the third is you flip it, and you flip it into a human monk whenever it becomes blocked. Untap three lands you control. I don't know if this card is good. Three life is almost the same as drawing a card, in my opinion. It's like, you know, they're pretty comparable in a lot of spots. Would you say revitalize is a draw, too? Yeah, I would. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> No, I wouldn't. <laughs> that was a good joke, though. It's on favorites because I like it. I think it's sick. And, like, I know it won't ever happen, but I did imagine myself attacking with this an amulet titan and untapping three lands, and that was hot. This is the card that made me realize the new sagas don't enter with haste because they, they have, like, oh, the Oh, man, that would have been so busted. You have to do because of the trigger some stupid sagas. but I, I think this card's cool. I hope that it becomes good enough to see play i know that it will be it does a lot of things uh i don't know any thoughts on this abe or mason i think that if you have a deck that wants to get you know it, it has some of these like four or five drop like mid-range heaters and there's enough aggressive pressure on the format to really make you have to speed up this card is like centaur healer that also helps you start casting like your important spells a turn earlier right like like it's a it's a mana dork they can't kill immediately that also just does so much to give you the time to leverage your more expensive cards. So I think it actually has, like, you know, reasonable sideboard application, if not, you know, some justification for mainboard, if there's the right kind of deck. Problem is that those kinds of decks just tend to not be as good as we wish they were. If you wanted Grazer in your deck, but you kind of wish Grazer could crew, and you're trying to play a Seekers Chariot on turn three, have I got the card for you. 
because I think this card does all those things really well. Like you play this on two, then you just cherry it on three, and then you it flips and you crew it and attack with like all your cats and everything. And but bam. My next card is Reinforced Ronin. I didn't know to put this. I had to change my opinions of cards. We, we all know Red's been having some struggles lately, fam. Red was like not getting the one drops it deserved for paying the ember cleave tax it's, it's yeah, a it's a it really, rebuild year <laughs> first experimental frenzy then ember cleave now's its time <laughs> i will get to reinforce ronin but it is important to understand the context so it's called dragon spark reactor uh, i think you guys actually talked about it on last week's show a little bit um, but it cares about artifacts entering the battlefield. And it basically is like Shrine of the Burning Rage for artifacts is kind of how I would describe it. Uh, let me read Reinforce Runner really quick. It's one red for a haste, 2-2, two, two, human samurai artifact creature. At the beginning of your end step, return it to your hand. And then it has channel for one and a red to draw a card. When I saw this card the first time, I was like, this is not the, the red drop, one drop we're looking for. Then I saw the reactor... And I was like, I'm wrong. That is the red drop I'm looking for. I think, I think this card, with that in combination with that card, is like straight up good. I thought that the, the channel thing was a little cute originally. I was like, you know, whatever. But honestly, like, I'm 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 I was already a Hellspark elemental gamer. I can be a or not Hellspark, uh, Spark elemental gamer. Like, I can be a Reinforcer Ronin gamer too. And in combination with the reactor, I think it is it is a spicy meatball. The reactor synergy is a good way, I think, to kind of push the card into being playable. Because I think that while I would be low-key down for Needle Drop uh, in, like, a current standard deck, this card's Needle Drop impression involves, it like, the opponent not having anything in the way in the early turns to get the two across. So, like, I think if you're on the play with this card, you can, like, shock people or whatever. But if you have the, the reactor, you actually have some in-gameness to it. If you're, like, in the early game, you're, like, you know, maybe you don't play this right on the turn, but, like, maybe you have a turn where, like, you have some extra mana laying around or whatever, and you can kind of get this in for two or whatever. And they're actually incentivized to, like, kind of not block it unless, like, they're kind of surely ahead because, like, you know, you have to reinvest mana for this card over and over and over again. You do. Things like Dead the Bugbear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of the one of the really cool things uh, that I've, I've noticed... By the way, if you're interested in the things that Mason and I, Mason just talked about and things that I just talked about, there's a deck list in our Patreon Discord uh, doing those things. But one of the one of the things that was really cool that I noticed is like, man, when your opponent foretells and you started on this card, you're like, take take six, homie. Like you're 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 taking it. I think with how lean the red decks look like, they're going to be built with the way that uh, like. You know, the decks I'm seeing are, uh, like, how many good, like, new new good, like, one-drop options, specifically, like, one and two mana. Things are all the drawback of having to pay a red for this every turn in the games where Goblin Guide would be good is not that big a drawback. And in all the other games, this card cycles. And even without the artifact synergies, I think this card is, like, uh, what's it, like, Wayfaring Goblin Beast or something? I don't know. The, uh, the card from Zendikar that when it connects, you pick up a land. Yeah. It's a very similar uh, uh, yeah. Wayfaring Guide Beast, I think. Actually. But I think the card's better than that for what it's worth. I think, yeah, I think this card has, uh, like, it's the same kind of tax where it's like you're always going to have to pay a mana for it. You're always going to be a mana behind to have it. But it has a way out of that, and I guess it can't block. That's, that's like, the trade-off. But, um... 
You get to play it alongside a bunny rabbit too, for what it's worth. It's a battery, and I like that too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think that in the games where your one drops are good, this is absolutely one of the best ones. Like in draft, I've had to start like thinking about taking this card more highly, just because the amount of times I underestimate how much it just deals six damage in the first three turns. Can that's actually what straight up convinced me, by the way, is I drafted Mono Red with this and the the Forge. What I don't, I don't remember the name of the card. The Dragon thing. And I was like, oh, this is standard playable. I am going to build this deck. My first one is Containment Construct, which is a two-mana artifact creature construct, 2-1, uh, and it says whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. If you do, you may play that card this turn. I think this card is so sweet, and I just don't know how I'm going to use it yet. I think it has... Use it the Ronin. I could use it with the Ronin. I could channel the Ronin, cast the Ronin, pick up the Ronin at the end of the turn, channel it again, cast it again, pick it up again. One of the decks that I had the most fun playing in Modern ever was playing uh, Hollow One. And especially just like having any excuse to cast Burning Inquiry again or cast Goblin Lore again makes me really happy. And so if this card gets me to do that, if, if there's a way for it to work, like that turns Burning Inquiry into like just a one mana draw three or three decks construct to be able to like still cast the things after it especially on like three mana not that difficult because you're casting this on two i don't know it just seems like such a it's such a sweet effect and it really asks me to like do something crazy with it and it just seems so awesome uh, like just giving all my cards madness uh for their cost it just seems so so powerful uh, i don't know how you guys feel yeah, about the card i think it's good I can't believe that Burning Inquiry was referenced on this show again, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. I like your next card a lot. Yeah, my, my other favorite card is Thundering Raiju, which Mason talked about a little bit earlier. Um, two red red, three three, uh, haste, and whenever Thundering Raiju attacks, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Then, Thundering Raiju deals X damage to each opponent, where X is the number of modified creatures you control other than Thundering Raiju. So... On an empty board, it comes down, attacks, puts counter on itself, now it's a modified creature. It uh, doesn't do any damage to it with its, the rest of its trigger, but you got the 4-4 coming in. You have some other creatures in play. Let's say you have a board of modified creatures, because you had your apes in the hot tub earlier, and then you got this thing out, and now you're going all over the place. You have Hellrider that's a 4-4, and I love all forms of Hellriders. Hellrider, Hero of Oxid Ridge, you give me a 4-4 with haste, or a 3-3 with haste that's a virtual 4-4, dealing some extra points of damage, getting the reach the reach going. I like actually really just like cards like that, and I think this one has a lot of chops and is also just one of my one of my faves. Yeah, I think this card's really, really good. I mean, it's funny, your second card in every category so far has been like part of this modified deck. Uh, <laughs> and I think the Thundering Raiju is like the kind of the top end you kind of need to like push that extra damage or like stop them from chump blocking you and like you know meat hook massacring you to death via drains and uh, I, I think thundering raiju is very very good I, I think it's a very strong card i think it's really strong too i definitely had this in my original version of that mono red deck that i talked about in the discord um i did cut it for something else that we'll get into we'll talk about later but i i am impressed by this card and uh i when it was previewed on monday this week I was reading it to to Matt Kling, and he was like, is that good? And I said, I, I think it's quite good. Like, I think this card's 
This card's a hot, this card's a, a spicy one. I mean, the first time you read it, you only think about that combat, so I think that's how you're kind of conditioned yeah. to think about cards like that. But the subsequent combats where it's still putting counters on things, like the turn it comes down, it's a four four on its own. The second turn, it's a five five. Like it just yeah well, yeah I I, th- I think the thing it doesn't have to put a counter on itself too. So you could like because this card's incentivized like this is a lightning rod card like you have to kill this. So if you have like. The spirit thing we talked about, like, there's probably a two drop. There's a there's a one mana one one that has like, uh, what's the word for it? We were t- we were playing it earlier. Oh, right? it has, where like, it dies, you move pseudo the pseudo modular. Yeah, it's modular, but for any creature, like like you can play that and like put a counter on the like. I must the I must put that card in my deck too for what there's it's worth. There's a lot of white cards like... that do that too. There's like star pupil is in the format. Yeah, star pupil. There, there, there's a bunch of things where like if you if the three three body can attack and not die by attacking. Right, like you're kind of ahead on board, and they've had to chump block, or like you can clear the way. Then this thing like spreads the power, and spreading the power triggers the trigger more, and like they have this weird spot. Where it's like, okay, well if I kill the other creatures, the Raiju's doing it there, and like maybe there's benefits for those creatures dying, or like uh, you know, benefits is a strong word, but like there's not all upside to killing them, you know. So I, I think the Thundering Raiju is very, very good, and it's going to actually put people in a lot of spots where it killed them two turns ago. When it came down, made the thing too big for the other removal spell to hit it, and they had to kill the Raiju, and like kind of got hit two more times by this other creature. I thought about it first only as like the one combat and was impressed. I was like, this card seems good. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it living through a turn cycle, that kind of effect of like, this game's just over, it is mm-hmm. so powerful. Yeah, I think this card so. punk checks people. Yeah. Onder a hit. So these are cards that are going to for sure show up. These cards are big players. Uh, we expect in a format or something. Um... Let's hop right into it. My first one is the Wandering Emperor. Two white, white for a Planeswalker with three loyalty. This Planeswalker has Flash, so it's the first ever Planeswalker to have that. And as long as the Wandering Emperor entered the battlefield this turn, you may activate her loyalty abilities as though uh, it was they had instant speed. As though this is your turn. So she has Flash, and then you can use any of her abilities the turn she comes in. So you can put on your opponent's EOT in their combat or whatever. So keep that in mind when we talk about the card. She has a plus one of put a 1-1 one, one counter on up to one target creature. It gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one, create a 2-2 two, two white samurai creature token with vigilance. And then minus two, uh, exile tap target tapped creature, you gain two life. This Planeswalker is, I think, absolutely great for control decks. Very good as like a one or a two of and white creature decks in standard. Probably goes back to modern as a potential planeswalker. Oh, sorry, uh, pioneer for potential planeswalker and control decks. I think the thing to think about this card is that it's a combat trick at like a lot of the time where like your opponent makes this attack into your creatures. You come in and you either throw a two-two in the way that like gets a favorable block, or you put the counter on something, and now that like the counter giving first strike as well for the turn allows you to eat something. And then the straight up like doesn't take much thought about it, but the minus two when your opponent attacks, their best thing's dead, you gain two life. The race is like, the math is completely swung. And then on your turn, you can make, you can cash this in for a two, two or buff your thing. So now like you're able to stop the next attack or really swing the race and hit them for more than they were expecting. And then if they do nothing, like they're kind of your board saw or whatever, they just kind of develop the board. They play their thundering ride you, but they can't attack. They put a counter on something, you flashes in, you make a samurai, and then you know you tick up on the next turn. So I, I think the Wandering Emperor is really, really good. Yeah, we talked about blue-white control like for a couple seconds earlier in the podcast in Standard, and I think one of the best parts about this card is that it costs the same amount as Memory Deluge. Like that is like that that is 
it's so awkward, right? Because you want to force your opponent to use their mana on their on their memory deluge turns so that they can't memory deluge, but then they also happen to have Wandering Emperor in your deck, their deck, and you're like, well, now I'm like between a really like a rock and a hard place. Like I I can't. There's not like a a good version of this ending up. Like this doesn't end well for me either way. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pinch him there. It's the same thing with like settle the wreckage was for for a while. Where like yeah, exactly. You to pinch That's their a good example. Turns. Exactly. Yeah, the blue white deck because they needed that those cards, but like attacking them wasn't really solving much either. Sometimes because if they had the the punishment for you attacking, you were just put so far behind. I really like that this card fits well into kind of mid range style control decks too. Those are like my favorite style of control decks that that aren't. Like, I either, like... I, I don't... I'm not a big fan of, like, the Aetherling style of control. I think that that's, like, kind of boring magic. This card fits into more of, like, a... Like, the pivot turns are way more fun with cards like this. I talk about this card a bunch. I think it's really good. I think... I'm mentioning Pioneer for a second. I'm going to pass it on here. But you literally get to play Deluge this, Settle the Wreckage, in small numbers in Pioneer. And, like, getting allies in a card is way stronger than this card on base rate. But I think the play patterns with this card make it stronger. Yeah, Flash is a really good ability to put on permanence. It's just so good. Yeah. Also, the fact that you get to like activate this multiple times in like one turn cycle is really strong. Yeah. If if you just make two samurais, you still have this, and now you have four power in play. And if your opponent didn't do much, that's like really hard to beat. Anyways, my next card's Lion Sash. It's one white for an artifact, creature, equipment, cat, 1-1. One, one. You can spend white, exile, target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent, put a plus one, plus one counter on the Lion Sash. Equipped creature gets plus one, plus one for each plus one, plus one counter on Lion Sash. And then Lion Sash has reconfigure for two. This card, the easy comparison is Scavenging Use. Unlike Scavenging Use, it doesn't gain you life, but in exchange, whenever you eat a permanent it gets bigger so it's very easy for this card to actually grow pretty big especially in formats with fetch lands uh so like the easy comparison or the easy thing to draw with this card is like you can grab it off stoneforge mystic so like now your hammer decks and other various white decks have like their soft graveyard answer card that doubles as a threat and then when it suits up on things it makes them really big and hard to kill i think modern back to standard all the formats in between are going to be affected by lion sash i think it is very very strong i don't think it's back breaking in any of those things but it's going to be so pivotal and it's not going to like replace rest in peace in a lot of decks but where a lot of decks would want to play skews but couldn't this sort of card's really strong and i also think i'm a big reconfigure truther so that's all i gotta say you know i i for one hate dredge i think that like it's one of the worst mechanics ever made and anything that's good against those type of that deck is good in my book and this this also lets you like protect itself from their interaction with it by by moving it onto another creature, right? Uh, and I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a, an instant addition to like lots and lots of formats, like Stoneforge Mystic packages, where this card is just a standalone like heater. When so many, especially in Eternal formats, so many decks just rely on the graveyard to give them some sort of advantage. Uh, you know, we see like Dragon Rage Channeler be one of the best cards in multiple formats. Uh, good luck getting Delirium through my Lion Sash that I can tutor up. You know, casting Murktide Regent a little harder when you don't have a graveyard anymore because I've been been picking away at it with my extra extra mana. I think the Lion Sash is just a sweet, sweet card, like really good tool. Probably the best standalone reconfigure creature, like as a, both a creature and then also as like a really powerful scaled equipment once you invested in it too. 
Poseju who endures. This card has uh, taps for a green. Uh, it has channel for one and a green. You discard Poseju who endures. Destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. That player searches the library for a card with a basic land type and puts it on the battlefield, then shuffles. Uh, this costs one less to activate for each legendary creature you control. Uh, this card fixes problems for a lot of different decks across a lot of different formats. I don't think it's ever going to be good enough to, like... Other than maybe in lands specifically, I don't think it's like a four of, but I think that like this is a one of goes in a ton of decks. It's really strong, like really, really strong. It is very good. I'm sure if you're listening to a lot of magic stuff, you've heard a lot of people talk about it. The one thing that I will say that I think hasn't been said enough is this card is also affected by the Luris world we live in, where I think a lot of the times the drawback to this card would be decks that like this sort of card that aren't just like, you know, like Tron plays a one of, Amulet will play a one of, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But like Jund will play one of these because if they still have a force, they can search off of a fetch. The only other downside would be, oh, I'm down a green source under Blood Moon. There's some actual friction there. And while I think this card's very good and would probably beat the friction in a lot of spots, you just don't have Blood Moon anymore because you have Lurus. So there's not a whole lot of tension actually to put this as a one of in your deck as one of your green sources and then you know now you've randomly got this hate card against artifact cards you randomly blow up a hammer and maybe that'd be a problem maybe you randomly blow up a chalice of the void from blue white control player a spreading season on a thing and a posting urza saga like you transform the urza saga into a land and they play on like the first turn in the mid game a lot of different things and obviously quite good with run six uh, i don't want to harp on this card too much yeah it's i think very, i think a lot of people already know this card is good so it was a pretty easy pretty easy hit uh, the I think the blue one's the second best one, by the way, just for the sake. Yeah, I think I think they're all good, and they'll all see standard play. And I think I think the blue one sees modern and legacy play too, along yeah. with this one. The I, uh, yeah, I, I I think the cycle's really sweet. And I know that former co-host Michael Hinderocker was saying that his only hope is that they're not good enough that you end up playing four. <laughs> so <laughs> my next card is Abe. Help me out here, buddy. How do I say this? Uh, Atsushi, the Blazing Sky. Yeah, so this card's uh, red, red 2 for a 4-4 legendary dragon spirit. It has flying and trample. I do love a good flample. And then when it dies, you pick, choose one. You exile, you either exile the top two cards of your library until your next turn. You may play those cards or create three treasure tokens. I am really impressed by this card. Uh, I also think this card is extremely annoying in dragons. I think this card is a standard hit. It's kind of where I have it. I don't know if it will see, I doubt it will see play outside of that because, you know, it's got the, the Baneslayer Angel problem, I guess, in a lot of ways. But fortunately for this one, that's okay because, you know, you get to draw two cards if they kill it. Uh, I, I think this card's really good. And uh, I've already seen it see play in multiple decks in Standard, and I do not expect that to change. I think something that I didn't appreciate until, I don't know, probably even like five minutes ago when we were recording this episode, about some of the cards we are talking about that have the, like, well, it doesn't do anything when it comes down problem, especially in red, is that um, uh, a card we like briefly touched on and mentioned, the, the red reconfigure haste card, uh, that card actually takes away a lot of those problems from the red cards for me, I think. Yeah, battery rabbit and this card are really good homies. Yeah. like, like A rabbit battery is one of the two. Yeah, like, ter- like, not only do I think that in standard right now there's going to be a lot more room for people to play cards like Infernal Grasp or just Power Word Kills or whatever, the, the removal suites will will exist and people will actually be killing creatures instead of just unsummoning them for a while, but 
mitigating that even further with these death triggers and with uh, with the ability to give them haste kind of easily between that and like you know if, if I were to play this in my red green modified deck that wouldn't be wouldn't be that far fetched. Yeah, that deck, that that this card seems really good with yeah. monkeys in a bathtub. Yeah, so, so it's not that hard to get it going somewhere, and so I think that that's like uh, like I'm starting to discount that effect a bit internally just just over the course of recording this episode, uh, and, and I think that this is a a really solid. Solid card. I still like Moonvale Region a lot, though. You can't... I do think this card competes with Moonvale Region, but, like, I think that it does replace it in quite a few decks. I think the one thing we mentioned, it kind of in passing, is we, we talked about the Baneslayer problem, which we don't mention a whole lot on the show, but, like, creatures that enter and don't do something immediately kind of a problem, and getting something on the back end is good, but often can be, like, mitigated or disregarded in some way, like bouncing, exiling, etc., but the fact that this is four mana and not five like the other dragons means that, like we mentioned with the battery, it can be the five drop dragon, quote unquote, and get the haste to get in there. And a five five haste is really big. And haste, once you give it haste, haste is an ETB ability, and it's the like one of the best ones, if not the best. So I, I think you know, like like Abe said, in conjunction with the other cards, it's really really good. I also think this deck is really really good in the Depraz, um Teamer deck that we saw get second at Worlds. I know a lot of people thought that deck was only good at stopping the Alarance decks. My experience has been that it is just totally reasonable against a lot of decks. And I think losing a Divide by Zero as a card played against it was actually, like, even though it played it at times, I think it's actually a, a big, big buff for the deck. It's one of the decks that and I've built sure as well. Great. Yeah, it is very strong. And I wrote about it in my article for Card Kingdom. You can check it out. Abe, hey, what's... Uh, What's your first card? Uh, my first hit is Reckoner Bankbuster. Another card we talked about a bit on the Pioneer episode last week, but it is a 2-mana 4-4 four, four vehicle with Crew 3 that enters the battlefield with 3 charge counters on it. Uh, and it has 2-tap, remove a charge counter from Reckoner Bankbuster, draw a card. Then, if there are no charge counters on Reckoner Bankbuster, create a treasure token and a 1-1 one, one colorless pilot creature token with this creature crew's vehicles of those power to your greater. So, this is like another take on Maze Mind Tome. I think it's just a really strong, you know, mid-range card, maybe even like a, a part of a plan for a an aggressive deck that has the right amount of pilots for a vehicle like this, that wants it against a deck that uh, has a little more interaction, needs a little more resilience in the form of just raw card advantage. But like, this thing coming down and immediately representing three cards worth of advantage is, uh, is really strong. And also just like a two-mana 4-4 four, four vehicle with crew three is a good thing to like have lying around for for a deck that's trying to cast any creatures of of, of any size really like that, that have any heft to them i don't know if you guys have anything more to say about this i think that it's like a really solid mid-range card uh plays really well with like or or a solid like you know little bit bigger aggressive card plays super well kind of like a full a full package kind of deal is it just you know there are like a lot of good vehicles in this set and i'm not sure which ones are gonna like end up being the like the vehicles of the format yeah, I mean, they really push vehicles to the set. We also have skipped a bunch that I think a lot of people would call the good ones, too. Like, There's only so many slots that vehicles can occupy within a given format, because obviously the the, the like the decks just converge onto the good ones, right? And so I'm, I don't know... I don't know what the good ones are, to be honest. I'm pretty sure this is the best one, personally. I think this card in mid-range decks is harder to care in Maze Mind Home's flip mm -hmm. card. And I think that's really strong. I think a lot of people have only looked at it as one or the two when I hear them talk about it. Sure. And I often think that, like, 
know, like, my mid-range deck can, like, play this, and I can just draw cards when I need to, like, you know, hold up mana against decks or, like, you know, I'm playing an instant speed. Or, like, you know, I don't have good attacks this turn. So I'll hold this up as a blocker. Now they don't have good attacks. Now I draw a card, I'm getting ahead. And then there's other parts where it's like, yo, I've got to be the beat down this matchup. Bank buster on two. X, three X on three. Attack, you know, and, like, this card starts killing them. And I, I think Bank Buster is really, really strong in standard. I um, I do appreciate that they did a good job of not giving the vehicles flying as much in this uh, <laughs> this set. <laughs> definitely, Bank Buster becoming the end. Yeah, they they definitely learned a lot from uh, from our last big four with vehicles. I I can see that. And and while I think that they're like you know none of them are actually hard of curing good or annoying. I think they're all all really good. I think Bank Buster though is especially good with my next hit, which I think. I think it's Tezzeret, well, I know it's Tezzeret, Betrayer of Flesh, two blue-blue Legendary Planeswalker Tezzeret, has a static ability, uh, the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn, costs two less to activate, comes with four loyalty, has plus one, draw two cards, then discard two cards, unless you discard an artifact card, uh, minus two, target artifact becomes an artifact creature, if it isn't a vehicle, it has base power, toughness four four, and minus six, you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped to draw a card. I think that because of how well this plays naturally with Bankbuster, in the way that, like, I play my Bankbuster on two, turn four I play my Tezzeret, I can immediately tap my Bankbuster draw a card. The way this plays with cards like the Crab that you briefly mentioned earlier, Spencer, like, you can play Tezzeret and then channels an activated ability of an artifact that's in your hand. And so you can, like, play this on turn five, if it resolves and they go to like heroes downfall it or cast their follow-up spell to punish you for tapping out you get to play this like mystical dispute effectively of like discarding your crab to interact with them and then also just ability to like you know if you have one of these artifacts you're generating card advantage by discarding the ones you don't need it's kind of mini thirst for knowledge every turn and then uh like swinging the game like aggressively by turning your know, random treasure tokens into four fours you know making your vehicles constantly active uh, if you need to do that just like a, a lot of ways that this card can like you know amount to pressuring your opponent's planeswalkers pressuring your opponent's life total you know drawing you a bunch of cards that emblem happens really quickly and like there's a lot of random ways to tap an artifact you know like every time you sacrifice a treasure draw card that's already really really strong before you even consider the fact that there's like artifact lands you can play in standard like treasure vault or um or things like the the mnemonic vessel that you were talking about. So because of the fact that the background of Planeswalkers is gray, is that two a mana symbol two, or is it just the number two? Because if it's just the number two, I'm reading this that crewing also costs two less. It is the mana symbol? Okay. I was like, I was like, this card is busted. <laughs> it's just like... yeah, it, you do kind of get, um, <laughs> get trapped because it says specifically the first activated ability of an artifact you activate turn cost to less activate so you have to be pretty careful with it and play about, not to crew yeah not which, to crew which first. things you're doing at what times <laughs> but um i don't know i think overall this card it, it reminds me of uh the blue black tesseret from days of old dude that, that card that card was so good and that it, it just enables an entire archetype to exist around it where this is the linchpin, and I think this is a linchpin tier card. Um, I just, I just think the right shell has to be found for it. Do you remember how Cobblade stopped that card from being a total domination in standard? <laughs> <laughs> I remember how it almost didn't. <laughs> you know, like, 
I think this card is very, very good. And I think the two mana... It's the each turn part that really gets me on this card. So there are things like the Mysterious Tome and the Drafters in the chat. That card is two mana. You tap it, you draw a card, and you transform it. It's like tap and you uh, like tap thing that doesn't untap or whatever. I think like waiting to use that sort of stuff on your opponent's turn. And then like, so now you like get two on your turn, two on their turn. Now we're getting like, you know, pretty big like mana advantage type stuff. I think if you can play that sort of stuff, it's actually pretty strong. Things like the sphere we talked about, the mononic sphere, like it becomes blue to draw a card on our opponent's turn, which like isn't busted, but like if you're doing a lot of things and moving through a lot of cards all the time, these sort of little increments of mana like getting discounted is very, very good. I played against this card, my opponent played a Colossal Plow deck yesterday. The Colossal Plow, not the strongest card in the world. But the subs and all the cards they had around it, not the strongest. But the subsidization of everything like them getting two mana on each turn doing a lot of little things like the blood token just moving for free and stuff like that it added up because they were able to prolong the game so i think if you can play tezzeret in a deck that can prolong the game and do that sort of thing it's really really strong and then it starts minusing and making four fours and you just start pounding them and so i uh I, i'm a big believer in this turn card. two bank buster turn three bank buster turn four tezzeret draw a card my turn draw a card your turn I, I like that Game we have over. so many cards that all go in the same deck, by the way, in here. We've got Tezzeret, we got Bank Buster, we've got uh, Mason's Counterspell, we've got the Mononic, what, like... I love it when podcasts build a deck by themselves. <laughs> Moonsnare Prototype somehow got dodged, but is absolutely loco with all the cards we've talked about so far today. It is, uh, it's a nice, it's a nice place to be. It's a nice place to be. Well, that's going to do it for our pick two set review of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Hopefully you enjoyed this sort of thing. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Spencer, if someone can find you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at Spencer13H uh, or on the uh, or on the YouTube channels of He's Game Media and uh, Constructive Criticism. And soon you'll be able to hear me every other week again on Mythicast. Oh. Cool, I didn't know about that. That's exciting. Abe, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings, or they can find my project Tree of Tales and contribute to it by telling me your tournament stories uh, at twitter.com slash tree of tales MTG. Awesome. Find me each and every week here on Chartism. You can find me over on Twitter at Mason E. Clark, and you can find me writing for Card Kingdom every Thursday. Uh, predominantly about arena formats, but you know we delve into modern stuff too. You can check it out over there. We're gonna be having more standard deck lists. So if you're looking for some standard deck lists, you can check out our Patreon. Check out that. Look over those sort of things. Show all of you free. We're gonna support this. So you can do that. And don't forget about signing up for the tournament. F- bonus $500 under addition of whatever money we get in, getting put back out into the prize pool. So you want to check that sort of thing out. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Constructorism. We will be back next week for another exciting episode of CCMTG.